0: I'm Andrew Bird and this is Foundstone Conversations where we bring you raw, unedited insights on all things strategy. And in this episode we chat with Jordan Colrevy, who's the head of category strategy at one of the world's largest consumer goods companies, L'Oreal. Jordan gives some really rare insights of how L'Oreal use a unique mix of both intuition and creativity, strategy and execution across the business. He talks about how L'Oreal's French heritage and culture have a really big influence on this and how other organisation leaders can learn from this sort of approach. L'Oreal also captures unique customer insights and they don't let the traditional rule book, inverted commerce, constrain them. On the topic of how L'Oreal are getting unique customer and market insights in seemingly unrelated industries and subsectors, Jordan shares the example of how L'Oreal and Red Bull, two very different sector players, are working together to share and uncover unexpected insights through ideation conversations. And finally, Jordan talks about how collaboration is key and how that means opening up strategy and involving the people who are going to actually execute it. There's plenty of really helpful tips in this episode on how to start co-creating strategy with customers and staff. I hope you enjoy the conversation and trust you'll get some really meaningful insights on how to apply practical strategy to your own leadership and organization. Welcome to Foundstone Conversations, a series where we chat with industry leaders about what they're seeing across business strategy, connecting with customers, and sharing real-world experiences from across their own career. And today we're joined by Jordan Colrevi, who's the head of Category Strategy at one of the world's largest consumer goods companies, or L'Oreal, so uh, a very warm welcome to you, Jordan.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Good to be here.
0: Thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, I know in some of our previous conversations, uh, we've had some interesting conversations on on all things strategy and broader. So, looking forward to to digging under the service the service into a bit more detail today. Before we do that, I wanted to wanted to um, take a step back, and as I understand. Uh, from conversations and and reading your profile, it's always interesting t- the guests we get on to to look at really some of the, their their past and how they've how they've arrived where they are now. So I believe you were you were fortunate enough to to grow up in a family who ran uh, many small businesses from from retail to furniture, and if I've got it right, you you've learned a lot of the principles you you even live by today through that. So can you tell us a bit more about that if we go if we go far wind yeah. back to those those years?
1: You're taking me yeah you're taking me a long way back, um, Andrew. And yes. I actually really like the question. Um, it's not one that you typically go straight into, but it's sort of um, maybe can tell you a little bit about who I am and I suppose how it shaped me. But um, yeah, my, my old man um, had many different businesses growing up, so um, it was quite interesting. Uh, he was in the rag trade for about twenty years and. I uh, used to go along with him as a, quite a young, young kid in the holidays and, and watch him buy and sell at different um, wholesalers. Um, he'd be selling then suits um, in a retail environment. So for me, it was just always quite interesting. Um, how, do, how do products get to the store? How do they get to the shelf? So being able to go to a warehouse and watch him negotiate and purchase these suits and ties and shirts and then see him in the store with uh the staff and how they they market the products um it was always uh it was an interesting experience for me um you know as quite a young young person growing up uh and then he he sort of shifted into furniture which was which is really interesting um because I thought what do you know about furniture um you've been selling suits for 20 years and you're doing that really really well but um as we kind of discussed a few years later when i when i talked to my old man about why he made that shift um it was really interesting he, he was looking at the market and he was seeing a bit of a, a change particularly in retail clothes um, and that localized you know small business in that environment there was lots of pressure on costs and price and, and competition and he was essentially looking at um, an exit Um, and and moving into a whole new category, which, you know, when you've got four kids um, and Mm -hmm. you're at school trying to feed us all, uh, it was a bit of a bold move to make. Um, So to to shift categories from clothing to furniture, we were were quite amazed at um, how that transition actually happened. But the other part to I think what made it so interesting was he headed towards where his passion was and um, he was actually really passionate about antique furniture and um, had all those basic principles uh, learnt from buying, selling, uh, running a store, uh, staff, things like that and and essentially applied it to a whole new category um, and built another business uh, for another 20 years.
0: That's huge. I mean, as you say, that you paint the picture of the... The circumstance, you know, you've got a, You've got a fa- uh, raising a family and the pressures yeah. that come with that, and to be able to take that leap is is huge. And do you think that the learnings for him and then uh, you now, yeah. it's, it still comes back to some some very fundamental principles that still are, are really relevant today?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that the things I take away from that environment are firstly knowing knowing who your customer is, um, and so location was so important for him um, back when he had his store. Um, Yes, it was suburban stores, but uh, just knowing who your customer was, particularly when he was starting the new venture, uh, getting into antique furniture, uh, he was able to tap into, I think, quite an interesting um, opportunity, which was he was able to buy a lot of his furniture and buy it quite well, um, which is where uh, the margin was created. So he was able to buy products, if you like, secondhand furniture from essentially um, houses within the area um, that he was working in so it wouldn't be uncommon for us to be driving to to school uh, and for us to stop by a house and uh, put a flyer in one of the, the houses that he saw um, you know we're talking um, older style Australian houses that he mm-hmm. could identify as ones that had the type of furniture he was looking for so um, yeah a lot of his customers actually that bought would also sell to him so one of the things I learned was, you know, he typically made his money through buying, not selling. So um, hey. one of the, yeah, one of the secrets, I think, to his success was finding the right products, um, but then it was the customers bringing those products to him um, in the end. And so, yeah, he developed quite a good business that was um, well-known throughout Sydney.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's, uh, well, thank you for sharing that with us. With it's uh, brilliant to get that context. So if we fast forward to, to now, so... Uh, your role as head of category strategy at at uh, a, a global recognised brand, of course, L'Oreal. Mm. Uh, if we can, if, if you can tell us a bit, bit, just obviously everyone knows the brand, but about the organisation, perhaps here in Australia, in yep. context, um, and then and then about your role. What's what's the kind of day in the life of your role uh, sure. in, in the bigger brand?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been at L'Oreal for almost two years now um in, in Australia. Um, previous to that was working in food companies. So beauty was a whole new space for me. Uh, part of the reason for the the opportunity and the challenge. Um, a bit like shifting, you know, rag trade to furniture really? for me. Um, out of my comfort zone, working in the beauty industry. Um, we work with customers uh, in grocery, which I was used to, but we also work with obviously pharmacies. Uh, we've got a large e commerce set up as well with lots of customers in this market here, like Amazon, eBay, Door Beauty. So there's a wide range of customers that uh, L'Oreal works with. Um, and I think the other appeal for me when I look at uh, what L'Oreal offers in this market is, is the array of brands and the categories that we play in. Um, so the brands cater to a very wide ranging audience. Um, and on top of that, we've also got um, different categories. So we're in hair care, hair colour, cosmetics, skin care is where I focus. So I look after the skin care specific um, strategy as well as the men's um, portfolio. So broad ranging portfolios, broad ranging customer bases, um, the largest beauty company in the world. There was a lot um, to be excited about. Um, and mm-hmm. in terms of a day in the life, it's probably the thing I would sum up most is the pace. I've worked at lots of um, fast moving, you know, FMCG, right? It's fast moving. It's not, it's not slow moving, but uh, beauty seems to be another level of pace. Um, and I love that about working at L'Oreal. Uh, every day is almost different um, to the day before and the array of different areas that uh, my team and myself works on from pricing strategies to promotions category strategies um we work with range reviews with many of our retailers Um, so i think the variety for me was was very attractive
0: i see yeah that that makes perfect sense and in terms of the brand obviously you know hugely recognized brand Mm. i know in in one of our previous conversations you you shared a bit in terms of you know the the french culture and the influence on the brand and then even the even the way from a from a forming strategy perspective how that has influenced and continues to influence. And I found that, found that really interesting, the, the more that intuitive approach. Mm. So can you, can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like no other culture company that I've worked for. I've worked for many com- um, companies that have you know, US backgrounds, um, being a company that's uh, based in, in France. Um, I think that culture is very strong and you feel it um, even in a country like Australia where we work, um, you know, just being at the company every day, you'll notice the diversity of um, cultures that we have. So um, it's a really strong theme that is current and I think it's purposeful as well. So you find that there's different skill sets, different experiences, um, different cultures, as I said before, um, in the business Uh, And that type of leads, that culture kind of leads to lots of creativity. So a big part of L'Oreal's success has been how innovative the company is and how it works creatively. Um, And I think that comes from the diversity of thought and the diversity of experience um, and culture that exists in the business. So whilst for some it can be a, a challenge to work in an environment like that where there's so many tensions and different thoughts and ideas, they somehow manage to harness it in a really interesting way. Um, intuition you, you touched on before is a strong part of the L'Oreal culture. Um, and it's interesting as uh, data and analytics start to come into the business. It's a really nice uh, recipe for watching it unfold if you like. You're seeing data and intuition, experience come together um, in this melting pot, um, and but still driving a, a really strong creativity in the business. Um, which it prides itself on.
0: Yeah, I think you've painted a really nice picture there because it's when in the context of strategy, it's sometimes when we blend in intuition, creativity, as you've called it, and, you know, in the broader concept of open strategy, um, the concept mm. of serendipity is coming into it. And historically, you know, we might look at strategy and we think, well, what's what's that got to do with a very process-driven strategy? And I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's, Obviously, solid systems and process in the business, but I like how you how you how you talk about that in terms of intuition, creativity, and data. Obviously, is a key part of it mm-hmm. as being as being a key bit because we see that a lot of where strategy is moving. Um, those organisations that perhaps just focus on just the process driven, um, yep. perhaps miss those anomalies and insights. The top left and the top right, uh, and it seems you're, you're you're doing that pretty well.
1: Yeah, look, I think. Um, You've described it exactly the way it feels to me. Um, I'm from typically a process-driven business model. Um, I've worked in lots of businesses where it's very step one, step two, step three. L'Oreal's not like that. Um, the rule book doesn't really exist for them. So um, it's just understanding the the balance, I think, between having those processes when you need them but then also uh, not, I suppose, throwing a wet blanket over creativity and, and, and ideation and flexibility as well. Um, I think, I think they're the ingredients that make it so unique. So um, yeah, sort of my role is, is a bit of a conflicting role in that I'm in a, part of the business where I do need to be driving process, I do need to be driving discipline um, around, you know, good guidance and governance on promotions is, is a good example um, where you do need to have those disciplines and rigour, but it's in the collaboration process of how do you get to those strategies? How do you bring different departments along the journey, like a marketing department as well as the finance when you're developing some of those strategies? Um, that's where the, the magic essentially happens um, for us.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love how you put that in in a very positive context, the rule book doesn't exist because I think uh, a lot of the time from a strategy perspective, Mm. if you try to play within the traditional rule set and conventional rule set, we're all going to miss those opportunities. And because markets, you talked about the beauty industry being really fast-paced. If Mm. you're perhaps playing within the constraints of a rule book, um, you're going to miss. So it's it's a really good example. Just on that note, I know we've talked briefly about it just before. What we see from the Foundstone advisory perspective is, is, those, is those insights that come from potentially very different industries or sectors or very different product sets within, within a particular sector. And I know, I know you shared just at a, a, the start of a story in a, in a previous conversation about another global brand who, um, who you've come across. And... You're in conversations now uh, around perhaps they're in a very different product set mm. through conversations and exploring perhaps some areas that pe- other people might say, well, what, what has that got to do with link with the mm. L'Oreal brand, that mm. you're, you're starting to uncover some things that could be really interesting about sharing insights. Um, yeah, can you, can you tell us a bit more about that and that brand and how that's unfolding?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a great conversation that, yeah, we've had a couple of times now um, with yourself. And uh, I think that the brand that, that we're working with at the moment from an ideations perspective is Red Bull. So, um, you know, not initially, you, you, to your point, you wouldn't think L'Oreal, Red Bull, how, do, how does that sort of make sense? Thinking about the categories that we're in, customers that we're playing in, uh, and even the consumer base. But what uh, what I love so much about working in a business like L'Oreal is, um, we've actually been able to bring together two of uh, two of these businesses together and actually have an ideation session around what opportunities could exist, um, and what we've found is, in fact, there, there in fact there's huge commonalities between some of the consumer profiles. Um, there's areas we're really strong in as a business in terms of the customers that we work with and some of the opportunities that they want to get into from a customer perspective and how do we leverage some of these, um, I suppose, strengths that each of us has uh, and how do we bring those together and, and find those opportunities, whether it's a consumer activation, um, talking about what some of the, you know, the brand um, goals that we've got, the brand goals that Red Bull have, um, tapping into some of the audiences that they talk to directly through some of their media and likewise with us. So it's been, it's pretty early stages, but it's a really interesting conversation um, around how do we tap into, I suppose the commonalities through the consumer starting there, but then understanding what the strengths of each of the different businesses are and brands um, around communicating to, I suppose these audiences and, and what platforms can we tap into? So um it's, it's an amazing um, and it's an exciting opportunity and I think it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to probably break some new grounds for us in terms of thinking differently and how to grow in, a, in an environment where growth can be hard to come by. And I think these are the ways that you can, you can unlock uh, new growth and differentiate yourself in, in the marketplace.
0: For sure. Because I guess if, for when I first came across you, you were on a panel conversation in another forum mm. and with uh, your peer in Red Bull and, and again, you've just shared it with us now, you know, you know, a lot of people probably would, would even would miss that even that that next conversation about exploring opportunities. Um, but the way you put it, you know, the uh, you know, common ground in consumer profiles and the, just you look at the L'Oreal and the Red Bull brands, they're two really unique, significant brands. Mm. And the fact that you're in conversation now pushing the boundaries from a mindset point of view. Um, you know, for the good of the consumer. I think it's a it's a brilliant example of very different product sets, yeah. but, you know, who knows what, where it goes and the, and the the outcomes, but I'm sure at a minimum you're testing each other's mindsets to think outside the box, if, if that would be fair to say.
1: It's a really, yeah, I mean, it's a really good um, summation of, of exactly what we're trying to do. Um, yeah. And I think at the moment when you're in an environment that we're in where we do need to think differently, we do need to Mm. um, go external. And I think this is Mm. something that we've spoken about before as well, but you can get caught up a lot of times in the four walls that you live in, um, whether it's working from home four walls or the four walls at work. Um, How do you get external and get a different uh, perspective of, of business, of the consumer, and just sitting in that environment and having that conversation actually makes you also appreciate what you've got. And uh, they start to look at, you know, in envy, some of the relationships you might have with customers or some of the different profiles that, that we really appeal to. And likewise, we feel quite the same um, in terms of how different their business is and how strong it is in different areas. So um, I think that external perspective for us, we, we, we probably need to do it a little bit more often, um, but it was a good reminder of getting outside of our everyday environment, off our computers, into stores, Yes. Into different categories and and really seeing what's out there. So um, it definitely reinvigorated that um, that excitement for us, I suppose, and that passion to do that.
0: For sure, it sounds like it. And, and though again, you know, the four walls, like you say, from a the way people have been working the last couple of years, it kind of helps, kind of then stretch those the minds in all those different areas, doesn't it? So I think it's so. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's a really very practical and a real example uh, that. That we're seeing you know is critical that that very different products or services mm-hmm. to have those conversations and, and see and a lot of the time things will come from it so thank you for that Thanks. in terms of strategy so uh, you know there's strategy is a, a big general word isn't it and we can there's a lot of different examples or different definitions of it but when we when we apply strategy to to your role uh, within L'Oreal I know of Heard a bit about you, you know, talking about keeping really close to your partners, um, retailers, and the end customers. And some people define strategy by it's the choices you make. Um, there's, there's plenty of others, you know. In, in a very practical terms, how do, how do you look at strategy in the context of your role and and the organisation? Yeah, that's a
1: it's a really good question. Um, I think for us, it's it's definitely a practical sense. Um, we're big believers of you know, strategy shouldn't just be a document or a piece of paper or a workshop. Um, it's got to be practical. It's got to be actionable. Uh, how do you execute it? So that's the lens that I typically put through um, when I'm working through different uh, strategies and, and, and goals with the business. It's it's around essentially planning. Um, for me, strategy is not a scary thing. Um, I, I look at strategy as synonymous with planning. It's It's a roadmap. It's a vision um it's how we're going to get there and it's giving people in the business um a broader perspective in terms of you know where do we want to play how do we want to play how are we going to win um what are the strategic priorities for us what do we need to do first second third um at times it can feel like everything is a priority and we need to do everything um in fact we, we we do have priorities and we've got reasons for things to be priorities so it's I suppose giving the business, as I said before, a roadmap, a vision. Mm. Um, it's understanding that pathway and, and and where does growth lie? How do we go about obtaining uh, that growth? And we put that through a lens of a category growth, not a L'Oreal growth. So it's really important to differentiate well, that. Absolutely. And that's a big part of my role is to, is to help the business understand the category drivers. Um, what are the consumer insights that we can leverage from our consumer team? What are the shopper insights in terms of what the shop is doing in our retail environment with our customers, what are the customer strategies? Um, what are their needs? So uh, we typically look at it through a three-way uh, win lens. I see, and that that being L'Oreal, uh, the customer who we who we sell our products to, the middle the middleman, and and the end user, the consumer slash shopper. So they're the they're the kind of three leaders that we look at addressing um, in terms of. Yeah, have we got a three-way win? If we generally can tick those three boxes, then it's typically good for the consumer. Is it good for the customer? And is it good for us? So that's that's a simple way of thinking about it. Yeah. I
0: like it. Uh, in terms of those, you, know, you talked about, you know, going external and into stores. And I know it's, it's always, you know, making the time for that is important.
1: Yeah. So does
0: that, in terms of, you know, insights, I'm sure you... Um, you, you have assistance for that as well from external people. Yeah. But is that something you try to try to work into your role and your team's role of, of getting in there right on the ground on, on the street?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm not good at it still. Um, but it's something we definitely aspire to do. So whenever we've got shelf changes in stores, which happen every twice a year in different categories, we will allocate or we'll make it mandatory at times to to go out and do that um, with our field team. So changing the planograms in the store, spending a day there with our field team, so important um, in terms of just seeing what's happening out there. How do the shelves fit together? How do the products look and feel? How do the ticketing work? Um, you can talk to consumers while you're in the stores, you can talk to many of the pharmacists and the customers in the stores who, who own those businesses. And I think they're the they're the richest conversations that you can sometimes have. You know, get away from the spreadsheet, get away from the, the, the boardroom, uh, the strategy planning, and actually look at what's happening out there, you know, how do the products fit on shelf? what are our competitors look and feel um, testing the products is is another huge one for us. Um, right. How do you actually try the products and, and you know, have you used them? Um, what's your feedback on those products? We have these type of discussions with the team. So hmm. you know, in an ideal world, Andrew, I'd be doing it once a month, but I'm not. Um, but I would love to get out there once a month and, and make it a team thing. Um, so we'll try to do like a, an early morning catch up with the team. Um, we'll go into stores. We'll take photos. We'll share those photos around. How's our availability in the stores? How's our our presence? How's our compliance? Um, you know, beyond as I said before, a spreadsheet, um, yeah. but actually looking at the the cold face of where the where the action is, where it happens.
0: Yeah, well, it's 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 wonderful you're aware of that because you know, as you say, there are. It's very easy, for, you know, the big corporates. And it's easy for me to say that you know. a huge global business so the process side is obviously hugely important but the fact that you're aware that you're you're, you know deliberately trying to carve out time for that yeah i think is is really key isn't it because you know you talked about the look and feel it's hard it's very hard to put that into a explicit number or a spreadsheet isn't it Uh, and that's where it comes back to your point around intuition creativity and you know what we're seeing even around serendipity you know you might bump into a customer in a shop and have a conversation that yep. that makes you aware of something that is completely left field so i think yeah that getting out of the spreadsheet is tough isn't it because yeah the systems and, and the and the process side is still hugely important and you've got to try to carve time out which it sounds like you're you're trying to do uh,
1: yeah and like i said it's not where not where i want it to be i i started in the field um, back in the day so I, yes. I i remember what it was like in the field and i remember talking to people that were in head office and um you know, how do you get people in head office to listen? Um, Because typically if you run an idea through somebody that's living out there and and breathing that environment every day, they're Mm -hmm. pretty good test for if something's going to work. So it's something that I've definitely got to pick up a little bit more. Um, I can't forget that. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely something we're we're mindful of as a business um, in terms of just getting our teams out there. And spending more time um, with, with our field and with our customers in the store. And I know our retailers do it a lot as well. A lot of our retailers will meet regularly um, mm-hmm. on a Friday morning um, in a particular store and do a store walk. Um, and I just think that's that's so powerful um, when you think around you know, retailers um, at every level going into stores, working in stores, um, talking to customers, talking to staff. And I think the other one is online. Um, which is a whole new frontier that we're we're exploring. Obviously, at the moment we're in, it's a huge part of our strategy, but how do you get onto the customer websites and how do you start to navigate it as a shopper and um, what's the experience like and how do you start to you know, shape some of our opportunities based off just some of those little interactions that we might have through searching for products or clicking on products um, or ads yeah. and things like that on, on, the, on the websites.
0: I see, yeah, love it. I think a lot of what you're talking to, to there there's uh, a concept and again it's it's just a term but the term uh, open strategy is becoming more prominent mm. it's, it's still a fairly new term coming out of Europe and the US yeah and the concept you know as the as the name expresses is involving a lot of those people that perhaps weren't traditionally involved in strategy inverted yeah. commerce. so yeah. you know like you've talked about those customer conversations partners retailers mm. uh, you know and even even the likes of perhaps um traditional competitors mm. uh, is is the principles that open strategy tries to bring. Yeah. And I can imagine that L'Oreal, you know, a significant, a huge global company, it's tougher to do that with the layers. So I'm not trying to oversimplify things. Mm. But those principles, does that, you know, if we look at it, even the strategy discipline, you know, within your career, yeah. do those do those principles ring true? And, and do you see that's where it's it's generally heading, involving all those different different views? Yeah
1: yeah look absolutely um i think for for, for me and the, and the principles that we apply um when we work with within l'oreal collaboration is obviously a huge one mm-hmm. um and sometimes collaboration takes time well, in fact it does it takes longer so you're in a fast-paced environment and you've got to collaborate well your initial thinking when you've got to move fast is i can skip that person or i can skip that department i'll tell them after the fact and we actually don't do it that way at l'oreal so we 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 do collaborate and it takes a little bit more time, um, but it's about bringing people on the journey, getting their perspectives as well, um, that diversity of thought. But I think for me, the most important thing within all of that is the the buy-in that you get um, across the organisation. And it's about bringing not just one layer of the organisation in, L'Oreal has lots of layers to it. It's about bringing different people from different levels of the business, um, different perspectives who are then going to help us execute the strategy. It's no point of a group of people coming up with a fantastic idea and and a strategy and some objectives on how we're going to do it and then pass it over to a sales team or a marketing team to say, off you go, Um, bring it to life for us, please. Um, I think you know what it's like yourself. If Mm. if you're a part of something and you're co-creating it, you're going to have more buy-in and passion uh, to want to deliver it and execute it and, and help other people understand why it's important. Um, so we try to find these advocates in the business. We build cross-functional teams. It's very fluid. There's no, as I said before, there's no rule book. There's no this person, that person. It's just a, a natural energy of different people um, yeah, from different right. parts of the business. And it's it's amazing how it works. Um, and when it comes together and, and it works, it, it's, a, it's a really good feeling. Um, but I think in summary to what I'm trying to say, it's, it's about involving the people that are also going to help deliver the strategy, execute strategy. And if you've got those people in the room and they feel part of the journey, they're going to also be the ones to help deliver it and make it a success.
0: Yeah, I think you've articulated that, that really nicely because it's when you stand back and look at that from a logic, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But the point you raised about collaboration, it takes time and effort mm. and it is so easy. The default isn't in all our busy roles and lives and businesses. Mm. The default is just to get on with it and just get things done, bypass. You know, with, we're not not, not um, a bad intent, but because we wanna get things done. But I think that's a really interesting point you made. It takes a lot of time and we sometimes think that that time spent is perhaps wasted time. Yeah. But what you've described there about, you know, involving the people who are gonna execute and collaborating Co-creation and getting advocates and buy-in. I think that's that's really what it's doing, isn't it? Through that, Uh,
1: absolutely. And and it's with the customers too. So that's an internal lens. But then, how do you bring that to a customer, like uh, like a chemist warehouse or a Woolworths, for example? How do we then have those sessions with them and take them on the journey in terms of these are the insights and these are the reasons why we think you can grow these categories. And this is the role that we're going to play within that. So the steps for us aren't brand first. In fact, we start with start with the marketplace, the category, the drivers, the insights. And what does that opportunity look like to grow that overall pie? And uh, and we've almost flipped that around to where we used to be, where it was. Let's go in with the brand. Let's go in with the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the power of the brand as opposed to now what we're doing is we're going in with These are the shopper insights, the consumer insights. This is how you can win and grow your overall category. And we want to be part of that. And this is then our role in terms of executing that. But how do we work together on building some of those opportunities? And I think that's the, when you get the customer bought into that front half, the second half becomes a lot easier because they're really clear in terms of what are the drivers? What's it going to take to, to unlock growth? Um, for their category, and, and that's how they're talking as well. So they give that feedback to us regularly. If we're not talking category, um, you sort of, you don't get as much time, if you like, in their very busy schedules.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, and, and the, as you just said there, the conviction that brings then by starting with that consumer insight is very different to these big, broad assumptions that probably aren't, aren't really very grassroots on what's happening in consumers' lives. Exactly. So, just a last strategy question before we finish on in terms of just some of your kind of personal um, insights and how you're you're aware and how you're going to for your own development around strategy and broader. Um, before we do that, in terms of strategy, the the short term versus the long term, we see a lot of people struggling with this. Mm. Um, especially, you know, what we've come through recently. There's still a lot a lot of unknowns and ambiguity. Uh, and a lot of organisations struggle to get the balance between meeting the short-term demand, and the and some of the challenges, you know, yeah. worker shortages, uh, product shortages, and then still keeping the eye on the long term. Yeah. Is there any way that you're looking that you know, seeing it seeing it in a better view, or some of the challenges that you're working on between the short and the long term now that you you could share?
1: Uh, I think um, I'm going to be, I'll I'll answer the question up front, then I'll go into it. I I don't have the answer, um, to be honest. It it is a, it's probably the biggest business challenge, I think, that we're facing at the moment, as well as other organisations, people that I talk to in the industry, I think it's the number one thing at the moment. I think there's a few reasons why. Um, When I think around that challenge that you described, so delivering the short term, but having an eye on what the longer term looks like and having a plan, I think the challenge is actually driven by, if I think, around the root cause, the amount of change that we're experiencing in our categories and in our retail landscape, um, the shifts that we're seeing in channels and where shoppers buy and the loyalty that, that used to exist that might not exist today. So I think the the dynamic nature of the marketplace, the global marketplace that we're in, the disruption that we're experiencing from different brands or different business models that are coming in, I think that's the context that we're all experiencing at the moment. And so what that means is that puts a lot of pressure on our short-term um, in terms of delivering what we thought was going to be there and might not be. And so it, it forces a shift of resource to focus on that short-term deliverable because we kind of, kind of get through today to get to tomorrow. That's the mindset that we typically have.
0: Yes.
1: Um, so I think that's probably the context um, that when I when I think around that problem, in terms of how do we solve it and what are the things that we're doing, um, the first step is we've acknowledged it as a challenge as a business. So you know, if you think around the the most senior people um, in the in the organisation, um, it's a conversation that we're having and it's an agenda item that we're going to have um, when it comes to how do we problem solve this. And I'm really excited by that because putting together again, as I said before good group of different people in a room to problem solve this it's not within just one function it's not a sales or a marketing or finance or supply chain chance we've all got the same challenge and so how do we solve that challenge Um, I'm not going to go through solutions today uh, because I don't really have them other than to say we need to solve it um, Mm -hmm. because part of the challenge is it's moving fast it's changing fast Mm-hmm. Um, and it's putting a lot of pressure on people as well. So engagement yeah, can be a, a risk factor.
0: It is, and the and the, the pressure and then in keeping making sure you know mental health and well-being is front yep. of mind as well. It's a it's a tough balance. And I think that the, you've touched on the point there, purely acknowledging it, well it sounds like you're certainly acknowledging it within, within the organization, that it is a challenge mm. and that it is a problem to solve. I think that's a really good highlight because a lot of the time, you know, me included our customers, our community, um, don't really take the time to acknowledge and become aware that it is a a very significant problem.
1: Yeah, I think, um, as I said before, I think it's the number one challenge that we're probably facing at the moment as a broader industry in terms of how do we do it? Things are changing faster. How do you define long-term these days? What's your vision of long-term versus what it was a few years ago? Is there relevancy in a five-year plan now or even a three-year plan? Um, What does that look like? Uh, I think my initial and my personal view on it is you you still need pillars. You still need anchors that you've got to stick to if they're grounded in the right data and the right insights, but you can be agile. That word's used a lot. You can be agile and flexible. Mm -hmm. should be flexible around the, how you get there. So we know where we typically want to end up. Um, How do we get there might not be always as clear. Um, Mm -hmm. So the tactics that we use, the uh, the approaches that we take, they might have to shift as we get new information, new data, as things change. But overarching, as long as we can provide what I think is some anchors in terms of where we think the growth's going to be, where we think the market's going, if they're grounded in the right data and insights, sure, new information will come in, sure, things will change. It's never going to be as we projected. Um, it's about having the flexibility to adjust your your tactics as you go. And I think if you get people comfortable in that ambiguity, um that could be the new way of, of, of looking at it. I'm problem solving, but that's where kind of my head goes to when I think to that topic.
0: I think it's really helpful, Jordan, because a lot of, a lot of our viewers and listeners, hearing that from, you know, yourself, the head of category strategy in a brand like L'Oreal, the fact that you're spending the time to acknowledge and problem solve, I think gives people peace of mind that that's that, that is a good thing to do. It's not wasting time before you jump into a solution so-called. Without even defining what what it is, so thank you for sharing that. Nice. No so just to finish on, so um, all of our guests, we, we like to turn from a personal point of view of, of what, perhaps in your own personal development, um, perhaps you know from a strategy perspective, where where you're turning to it could be informal, yep. it could be a for, formal thing. Is there anything that's that that you could share with with um, our audience of where you're getting help in terms of getting a really good read on where strategy is heading? Um, in, in your own discipline?
1: Yeah, I, um, I again, I uh, love this question. Um, I'm a huge believer in uh, focusing on um, these development goals and, and working on, you know, what are the gaps um, in terms of what we're not doing today and what I'm not doing today and, and what are the skills that we're going to need in the future. And mm. some of those areas um, was a lot, to be honest with you, um, that we're working on, but what um, I'm working on personally I suppose the ones that I'll I'll call out and I think would be relevant for a lot of people um, is data analytics. That's number one. Um, You hear a lot around data analytics today. That's becoming, that's arriving faster than I think we ever thought. So sure when you think data analytics, you might be thinking Power BI, you might be thinking uh, Tableau and these essentially are just the interfaces. Um, But really behind all of that is, How do you get clean data? How do you get the right data in the right time? What is your source of your data? And how do you then combine all those data sources to help answer some of the business questions and challenges that you've got? And so one of the things that I'm working on, um, you know, as a senior leader in the business is firstly understanding what those questions are. I'm never going to be able to be a data expert and, and be able to build these platforms. But what are those business problems, challenges, and questions that we can frame and work with our data team on. I think that's one of the areas that mm-hmm. I'm personally trying to 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 work towards to help enable our data analytics teams to provide those better, you know, beautiful dashboards and 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 things like that, the outputs mm-hmm. um, essentially. So
0: yeah.
1: that's probably the first one. Um, and in terms of data analytics, I think in terms of making better decisions, like that's how we look at data in this business. So um, we've talked a lot about creativity and intuition and things like that. Incredible how accelerated the data journey is at L'Oreal and how much focus and resource is going behind this because we've got so much data, we've got so many insights and we're probably guilty of not using all the data and insights the right way. Brilliant. I could imagine. Hmm. So for, for us, it's about, for me personally, it's about, I'm in a role where data is so important and I can make better decisions with the data. Mm. So how do I use this data, which a lot of the time is lagging, but how do I use it to help me project and look forward in terms of you know, where we might see growth or where opportunities exist um, and spend less time on the doing? I usually say to my team, I want to shift the dial from moving you know, 80% on running the data and 20% then interpreting it to the other way around. Right, so mm-hmm. the 80-20 flip and we're starting to see that now and it's incredible watching young analysts come up in our business that can spend less time running data spreadsheets and things like that and actually working on what we call the so what's now what so we know that now what are we going to actually do and what are the actions and that's that's the space that we get most excited spending our time in because it's where the value is
0: brilliant i think that yeah the blend of that when you talk about data and the how it's hugely important blended with the, you know, the, the creativity, the intuitive side. And you talked about, you know, spending this time in stores, getting that futuristic view, the combination of that sounds pretty powerful um, as well as, you know, the example you gave us around Red Bull, you know, very different product sets considering that mindset shift. So I think it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty powerful combination. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Very welcome. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Well, it's been a, been a wonderful conversation uh, and, again, sharing right from back in the day of, you know, growing up and, and deserving the family business to now, <laughs> running category strategy and uh, looking forward to hearing about, you know, what's next in you know in the Red Bull conversations, mm. insights, et cetera. So I look forward to catching up again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for your time, Andrew. And, um, yeah, really enjoyed our chats as always. So I'm um, looking forward to the next one. So cheers.